You are listening to Fika with Vicky on United Public Radio, 107.7 and 105.3 from New Orleans. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fika. Our returning guest today is author Shane Joseph, who is also the owner and publisher of Blue Denim Press. During Shane's last visit, we discussed his novels, Empire in the Sand and Circles in the Spiral. I found them gritty, I have a soft spot for gritty, honest and thought provoking, inspiring me to read more of his works. Having done that, I've invited him back to discuss the Ulysses Man and Milltown because he still has me thinking and questioning. Here's my review of the Ulysses Man. Born into a world without choices, Martin James learns their importance and consequences early. Overthinking becomes his ally as he maneuvers around child molesters, an alcoholic father, a mother with mental illness, and an unstable government. His instincts grow stronger as his trust diminishes, his innate integrity becomes an obstacle, and his innate integrity becomes an obstacle. He has one hope. Will it bring him peace? Author Shane Joseph opens curtains in the world for us to peek through, encouraging us past our comfort zone, and through this lighted realism, we may learn, be inspired, and feel. The Ulysses Man is the book I read in one day, never stopping during the 10-hour stretch. It's the book I'm still thinking about three days later, and the book I'll be thinking about for years to come. Thanks for the Ulysses Man and Milltown, Shane, and welcome to Fika. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. (laughs) I'll read a couple more books and you'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Though I also want to read some of the uh, books... Of, of people that you publish too. So I'm going to have to put you on the shelf for a little bit. Like, <laughs> there goes Shane. No problem. You describe the Ulysses Man as an autobiographical novel. And what exactly is that? Is it fact? Is it fiction? Yeah, well, I, I like to call it faction. So oh. it's, a, it's a bit of both. Uh, it's it's uh, imagined... Um, incidents and a storyline okay just a minute because i want everybody to get that and brian just said there's no sound on youtube i don't know why that would be um just a sec okay i'm just going to turn my mute off for a second Testing? Oh, Jenna says, testing? David, can you hear me? And you're on YouTube. Okay. Can you hear me on Facebook, Janice? You're on Facebook? Okay, so it's a YouTube problem. Um, Anybody who's on YouTube, could you switch over to Facebook? Go to the Fika. 
Okay, it's Brian's fault. It's just Brian. <laughs> Only Brian can hear. But thanks, Brian, because I always want to keep up with what's going on out there in tech world. I can't hear. Okay, Shane, you were saying you like to call it faction. Yes, I like to call it faction because it's a bit of both. Uh, it's a storyline, uh, a fictitious storyline that's based on a lot of uh, factual incidents uh, that took place. Um, uh, for instance, uh, there's a three-part book, as you read uh, part one and part three um, is drawn heavily from my life uh, and part two uh, which is the section in Canada uh, I have fictionalized based on what could have happened to my life if I had followed a different path so there's a blending of uh, fact and fiction in, in this novel that's why I call it an autobiographical novel well, we were just discussing in the green room um, about how this is was like your life in a lot of ways and it it is i can say that there's a lot of trauma in this book and you're growing up and the people growing up around you um and and so i just want to mention to the folks out there it can be a hard read if you've had some situations in your life that coincide with those or even if they're things that you don't want to hear about but if it's possible i encourage the read because it brings a lot of understanding to parts of the world that we may not actually know about in this kind of on this kind of level from a personal experience so Shane, while you were writing this book um, that was so close, did you find it cathartic to, or did you, was it like emotionally encompassing? How did you get through it from a writer's perspective? There's elements of all of that. I mean, I don't like to write my um, catharsis and dump it on the reader, uh, but in, in reliving some of the incidents, um, I was able to exorcise some of them. Um, but I also, there was a, a long time period between when I wrote them and when I had experienced them. So I think I had a, a certain amount of distance between those events. Um, some things you can never really uh, get away from. Um, you know, if you were to describe me today, I'll say I'm still a traumatized kid. Uh, but, Which is understandable. <laughs> right, given some of the things that happened in, in the book. Uh, but um, I'm at peace with myself in terms of those things that happen. I can't change history. Um, but I'm, I reconcile myself to them, and I've now tried to convert them into into an art form that can be digested, hopefully, by uh, readers who have a strong stomach. Um, uh, now, a couple of things I want to also uh, qualify is that even though I described, and this is where the fiction part comes in, I've, I've fictionalized uh, Martin James, the protagonist's entry into Canada. He came in illegally. I did not come into Canada illegally. <laughs> I immigrated <laughs> officially. And, and and I also wasn't associated with the mob like he was. Um, although I did uh, know of many of my uh, countrymen, less fortunate ones, who um, were squeezed by mob-like elements. And, you know, you, know, you notice that in, in Mill Like in Millhouse. Yes, in, yes, in that Mill was... And that, that was true. People were being uh, pressured to contribute to the revolution that was going on back home. And so they were in Canada, hopefully safe, but not quite safe um, because they were under threat. So uh, there's elements of, um, you know, borrowing from things I had seen and observed uh, and mixing them up with my own life experiences in, in this book. And and it, it's 
you did it very well because I didn't know where the reality and the fiction came and went. So I've been trying to like, you know, oh, that popped up on Facebook. Well, then that can't be the way. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be my own detective here, um, Shane, but definitely. So for the people out there who haven't read this book and haven't heard a lot about Sri Lanka and what has happened there, what's going on there. Could you explain to them why it was so important for you and others to leave? Yes, there were several factors. Um, For me, um, uh, I'll mention a few. Um, After the country got independence in 1948, uh, it went into a downward spiral, uh, economically and socially, I think, uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, was political mismanagement. If you if you look at the news today, the country is officially bankrupt and it's being bailed out by the IMF and other creditors from around the world. So this was something that I cons- constantly saw as losing things. You know, first imports were banned, then you know foreign exchange couldn't be taken out of the country, and it was a, a, a shrinking world. That was the first thing, and then the second thing also was um, my mother tongue is English. I'm, uh, I was raised in English, spoke it at home. Um, and then the country decided for political reasons um, to go and make the national language singular uh, and also the medium of instruction in schools, which was a, a fatal mistake because Sri Lanka had a standard of English that was probably the best in, in all of Asia, right? Going from Japan right down to, um, to um, Turkey, if that's the geographical definition of Asia, we had a fantastic standard of education. Uh, and, and also of English. And when the, the national language changed, a lot of these people left, the English speakers left, the English teachers left, and the country slumped in the language. Uh, India, for instance, was not considered to be on par with Sri Lanka when it came to English. But all the call centers went to India when I mean, they should have been coming to, to Sri Lanka. And I remember going back to Sri Lanka after a 21-year gap, and I was appalled when I spoke to people in English and I saw how the language had eroded. Uh, they're trying to come back now, uh, but they're, they're behind in the race. So that was another uh, thing that, that, that affected me. Uh, then, of course, the civil war started when I had left Sri Lanka. I was living in the Middle East, and then the civil war uh, broke out, and some of my friends died, and my father was blown out of a plane, but that's another story. Uh, he survived, um, and I realized I couldn't go back. So I had to find another place. And then the West at that point, um, talking about the late 70s, early 80s, had hit the highest point post Second World War of social and economic development. You know, these were countries that attracted us because people were living uh, just just lives, fair lives, uh, they were looked after. Um, there was social justice, there was respect for the rule of law. Um, I have to say that has changed a little bit since the 1980s and when greed got into the culture. <laughs> <laughs> but I know they the were I'm, fun, but they caused some problems. Uh, yes, at the time I was thinking of emigrating, these places looked as beacons of hope uh, from where I was going down. So all these things led to finally a move, and it was not just me. There was a whole bunch of people. No, it was the who moved. It was the dream. Like everybody was like Canada or the UK or the US or Australia was very popular yes. as well. Yes, I even now, <laughs> the language thing. I'm I'm trying to piece it together in my mind with Mill with Milltown. Yes. Um it, it it was a very dangerous thing too. Like if you if you spoke with the the wrong accent, if you you could end up 
yes. dead. Yes, and the, and the bigger issue uh, was in the case of Sam, my character from Milltown, is that he is a Tamil and he's married to a Sinhalese uh, woman, right? So they are two different uh, ethnic groups and they were the ones fighting each other. Um, the Sinhalese was the majority and the Tamils were the minority. Um, before the war, there was no problem. You know, Sinhalese, Burgers, Muslims, they all intermarried each other. My best friend was my down the street I lived was a Buddhist boy on one side and a Muslim boy on the other side. And we used to play cricket and we had no problems. We used to go into each other's houses for, for ceremonies and enjoy the best of all the worlds. But then the moment this barrier broke out and the civil war broke out, there was this fear. Oh, my God. You know, I'm a Tamil man. Should I take my child to a Sinhalese doctor? Will he kill him? You know, I mean, I'm married to a Sinhalese now. Are they going to start fighting in the house? So it was this this unnecessary uh, conflict that was created by the external factors that came into the domestic scene. And and Sam in this book comes to Canada with that, right? He has inherited that problem. So his domestic scene is somewhat uh, messed up. And then he has to come to this new country and not only a new country, but a small town in this new country. So he's now moving <laughs> cultures within a culture and try to make a go of it. And so um, I wanted to bring all those uh, issues on the table. And now, of course, Milltown was a little bit exaggerated because I put all these in at the same time. And so the whole town explodes. <laughs> but that's that's where the power of, it... <laughs> that's where the power of fiction comes in is you 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 artificially uh, load things that could happen into a, a condensed time zone and then you 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 create drama, right? So that that's what I did. Well, and and that's done well because your books, I read them both in, in one weekend because that's what I had to read them in. And the world was kind for that weekend. Um, and they they do intermingle, but they are it was an easy thing to do because they start with action at the beginning, right to the end. Like you you definitely show not tell what is going on because it's just, you know, I I, I have a soft spot for Sam. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm just like, poor Sam. <laughs> because he's just trying the best that he can. Yes. And and um, the world just keeps happening around him. But speaking of Sam and, and experiences in life and all that you know, do you believe, because there's Sam and then who was a, who was a, married man with a family that came over from to Canada. And then there's Martin who was a single man who came over to Canada. Do you think that our, your, the ability to ground, like Sam was grounded by his family. He saw no choice, but to follow a path and make it secure. Um, whereas when you're single, you can follow a few <laughs> <laughs> little tangents here and there do you think that helped with his with his experience like the idea that um i need to fit in i need to i need to make this work i have no choices yeah so i think you're saying you know is it the person who creates the journey or the journey creating the person yes <laughs> uh, yeah i think i think it's, I, I think it's write that before I, yeah, I, th I think the person uh, pretty much creates the journey because the, the push, the internal push uh, by that person is what makes the journey even start. Uh, but having said that, the journey then changes the person because, you know, you grow in this journey. 
um, and and in the Ulysses Man, I, I called it the Ulysses Man because it's modeled on the journeys of Ulysses coming back from the wars. And he's trying to get home and he's never getting home. He's being detoured all over the place before he lands home. And then when he gets home, he has to fight to regain what he's got. Uh, and that transforms him from when he left the wars to when he finally regains his home. And, and so the journey does transform you. And But if you, if you relate me back to Sam or to Martin, I, I think I'm more like Sam in terms of the journey because I came also with my family. You know, I had a young family and and we journeyed together and we clung to each other because, you know, it, it was very comforting to have them around you when the world was so hostile around you. Um, but in terms of circumstances, um, I was not a Tamil. I was not fleeing a civil war. Uh, I was a burger, so I'm more like uh, Martin uh, in, in The Ulysses Man in terms of my personal circumstances and the, the motives that pushed me out. Uh, so I, I, and that's why I also wrote both these books, because I felt if I'm going to explore the immigrant experience as it happened to me, then I need to cover it from two angles. One, the family man coming with his family, uh, trying to fit in. And then the second is the single guy um, coming purely out of his own uh, motivations. Uh, to to this country, so that's the, where the, the the two break out. Uh, but certainly, the the journey um, did change us, um, changed me. Cha I mean, changed the entire family, um, and uh, for the better. I I, th I think because we all grew from that experience. We are much more aware of the world now than we were when before we came here. So I do wanted to suggest to um, listeners out there that you do read these two books together, possibly not in a weekend because the dishes were piled like this high, but I think that they do really go together. Like they're not a series, they're sort of companion books. Yes, that, that uh, would make sense. That, that yeah. 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 Because, uh, because the two perspectives um, work that way. Now, I, I should, I'm just going to look at my writing because if I wrote, does the journey create the person or the person create the journey, I'm much better in my writing than trying to think of the questions off my head. So you were older, still young, but, <laughs> but older and you have experienced a lot of life. Do you think, like, I'm just thinking... I spent some time in Northern Ontario and coming back home to Southern Ontario, like a, a place without a lot of malls and without a lot of this. And I grew up in Southern Ontario, but coming back, it was, you know, I would see all this stuff and see uh, all these malls, and this unnecessary things. And I would go into shock. So when you, when you first come and you see all of these things does that then become a part of the dream and something that you let go over time to for the security that you were originally looking for well the material comforts don't last very long you know i remember when i was in sri lanka we didn't have a lot of things and that was one of the drivers of pushing you out but when i went to i first moved to dubai before i came to canada um and i was in dubai oh. for six, six months um you know uh, all my material needs were met and I was bored because, you know, that's the low end of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's basically once your, your, your shelter and comfort and, and all that is taken care of, uh, you're looking for something higher than that. And I think the, the biggest thing that 
uh, appealed to me uh, in coming to Canada was the freedom. You know, the freedom to express oneself, which I, I realized was very strong with me. That's why I'm a writer. Uh, that's why <laughs> I will defend whatever I write. Um, you know, in as much as there's these various movements that come on from time to time and tell you tell you not to use certain words or not to speak about certain people, uh, you know, I, I don't buy that. Um, so um, that was the biggest um, uh, trade-off or the, the 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 trade I made was to giving up my home but to accept freedom because where I lived in Sri Lanka there was no freedom in a sense. You know, there was no economic freedom, and and political freedoms were also being somewhat uh, narrowed. Um, and of course, in the Middle East, they are all dictatorships, you know, shakedoms and dictatorships. So you really don't have a lot of freedom at all. And as an expatriate, you have nothing. Um, so for me, uh, Canada was the first step in, in in freedom. And I remember writing to my dad uh, like a couple of days after I arrived here saying, Dad, you know, I can smell the freedom in the air here. He was back in Sri Lanka. I said, and the funny thing was when I'm walking in the malls, I don't sense the Canadians are walking beside me smelling that freedom because no you know, no they don't <laughs> they complain and they go on and and this is one of the reasons I want to get them to read so that they can see and appreciate as long as we can read basically what we want to think what we want to say what we I mean I'm I'm cool with that yeah it is um, and then, you know, when some guests write on their Facebook page, Vicky doesn't hold any punches, <laughs> I allow them to do that. I don't censor them, though. I think Vicky is very delightful, though I like the image of not holding any punches. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for my identity now. <laughs> that, that was meant as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was. <laughs> Are you kidding? I was like, whoa, I like that. <laughs> But I didn't know how to react to it because there's still a lot of punches in here I'm holding. But okay, all right, go for it. <laughs> I'm a know. big boy. I can I take. Do <laughs> it's not you. I, I maybe the people of Canada. I do get frustrated when people don't know what they have, and and there are there are countries that, for example, when the students protested. Later, their bodies were floating down the river. Yes. Um, and and so, yeah, you, you don't get over trauma like that. I just want to point that out. That's, that's, that's too much. And no, that is not happening here. So we all need to check our, our realities and, and see that we do have it um, very lucky. And, and that, you know, there are still people fighting to get here that want what we have. So we should be a little more appreciative and thankful for that. That being said, Canada is great. Um, what now in the books you talk about some of the experiences that your protagonists went through, their families went through, some of the reactions like the surprise that you could speak English or um, Sam could speak English or what Ever. What is your experience with that? How did it taint or not your coming? Well, well, I didn't have uh, too much of that because I spoke English. It was my mother tongue. I spoke I, a bit uh, <laughs> I was going to say I can't. You know, you, you, you don't. How do? No, I can't say that. But <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll you say would it. be cool. I'll say. It. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not uh, a typical. 
Sri Lankan immigrant as Canada has has uh, portrayed them, right? Because the typical Sri Lankan immigrant was uh, of, of the Tamil uh, sector, because a lot of them came um, during the Civil War, and English was a second language, and uh, they they had to uh, learn a lot more in order to fit in, and they've done extremely well. I mean, you look at the businesses that they have created and the and and the culture that they have created here; they've done extremely well. But they had a harder go of it, and Sam, I think, is a good example of that. He was trying to start a little shop, and and attract um, you know established Canadians to come and eat his rice and curries, and he was having a hard time with that, right? But eventually, he persisted and he got through, and then he started becoming quite successful. But is that initial push of um, getting the other to see that you're not a, a monster, <laughs> you're just different. And, and you also um, are used to uh, playing a harder game of cricket. You know, <laughs> you, you, you're, not, uh, you're not going to roll over and play dead because you've already, you know, fought too many battles just to get here, right? So uh, that, that, I think, was, uh, is common among most immigrants. But some are able to move a lot faster because they have a few, uh, few things already in the bag. And, and knowing the language and knowing the customs, um, and being able to uh, also learn fast, think on your feet, and move, I think, uh, helps a lot. Um, so well, you, and the so you have to have a bit of a you have to have a bit of an open mind about things, and and be prepared to adapt when you come here. Yeah, which is an, a survival instinct. Yes. So if you've been surviving through all of that kind of thing. The, the, as I said, the overthinking is actually helpful in those situations because you're working at the reactions. And Sam did prove, like I said, love Sam. Um, I'm going to keep going back to Sam. <laughs> Sam did prove that it's the staying power, that holding onto who you are, people get to know you. And the food is a thing. Because people come together over food. They talk over food. There's nothing to fight for because there's food in front of you. There's a comfortability. And he was willing to show them that part of him, his culture, um, and and they in turn reacted to him. Yes. So, so his attitude made a lot of difference. It wasn't easy that he moved from a more urban area to a smaller town. And... There's a lot going on in that town, so they were looking for a scapegoat. I mean, let's just put it that way. There was, which brings us to the lot going on in that town. Now, I've read four of your novels so far, and they all have that idea of secrecy, that yes. the world is not what it seems, that Shane just wants to blow the lid off of, of the perfect little pictures and show people what's really inside which i admire because that's where i don't pull punches i'd like to join you in that. this is this is the way it is um so in in this book the family i don't know to me there seemed parallels between keeping your children safe from outside forces from the politics and things like that and then keeping your children safe from from reputations the reputations become important it's a certain kind of death a social death but it doesn't have that same importance as far as i i can see and that the children in turn rebel against those secrets instead of like a political 
secret and 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 is 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 that what was going on there or just everybody wanted money no i mean secrecy is a, an interesting topic we, i think we should talk a little bit about that because we can yes because i think in 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 this society one of the things i've seen which is a downside is we like to keep our um, skeletons in the closet we, we don't like to talk uh, we talk nice things nice i'll come back to that word nice we even write nice stories and we like our stories to be nice and 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 uh, mild um, and therefore canadian literature doesn't get into the big spots right comfortable they're, yes they're comfortable they're safe they're they're passive um and and so as long as we are nice um we will be kind of middle of the road middle grade uh, a middle grade nation uh, but if you really want to get into and i consider literature to be uh, going into the harder areas in fact i was writing a, a, a quote from saul bellow um, a little while ago he says writers mature when they force themselves to face hard experiences you know and then and the, he goes on to say the greatest threat to literature is conformism so you know you think about those you think okay literature is supposed to show the underbelly of uh, of life um you know not not only the underbelly but the the good and the bad and we should be uh, brave and bold to sh to showcase that and as readers we should be brave, brave and bold to be able to read about these things and not just only appreciate nice literature so when you bring it back to to middletown you have this nice little town which has a lot of secrets uh a lot of uh, dysfunction that is swept under the carpet and then you bring this um this south asian family in there to open a restaurant um and things start to go wrong not because the south asian family is stirring up problems but because they attract certain elements and, and in the fusion of it anger uh, the the anger the dysfunction uh starts to emerge and then things go wrong and not going to give away the plot but things go wrong and then the whole town explodes right and you suddenly have a guy running around bumping people off and people be kidnapped and <laughs> and the world is coming to an end and these are all things that are possible and so um i believe them and in the in the end the idea is that you know by exposing we get to understand things and we can probably resolve things we have a better chance of resolving them if we expose them and if you just keep them hidden for forever and that was the intention um so yeah so i'm i'm um a big proponent of not writing nice literature um <laughs> that being said no you don't write nice literature i'm like oh shane um the <laughs> i enjoy it but but there is still that idealistic aspect that you can find at least contentment yes at the end of the road but that's up to you there's there's always that second chance going through in your books and and so that's the question do people give us second chances or do we create them no i think we we get them um call that mystical or whatever i I've, i've had plenty of second chances in my life i have second chance of marriage second chance of country second second and third chances of homes uh, multiple chances of careers um which stopped and started and began again um i even had a second chance of life i had an accident once and i was pronounced dead and then uh, through some medical intervention they got me fired up again and i'm here 5 years later so you know second chances are given um and and our our choices to um to recognize that, that there are a second chance and to 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 pounce on them and make them work for us 
and make them better than the last time around, right? So uh, sometimes we don't recognize the second chance and it just goes over our head and, and then we say, woe is me, right? So so that's one. And, and then uh, this business of hope, yes, uh, I, I do believe, and in fact, all of my books, um, whether the hope is hidden um, and it's for the reader to, 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 to spot it or whether it's more uh, obvious, there is hope. Um, in fact, some of my titles of my books, I had one which is called Crossing Limbo. It was a collection of short stories. And uh, it's basically people in limbo. And they can go back into hell or they can go forward into the promised land. Um, it's their choice. Some of them make it, some of them don't. Uh, but there's always uh, a, a, a glimmer of hope or light at the end of the tunnel. And it's for them to take it. Um, th that is important. Uh, that's my kind of my moral position on things. Um, I, I don't really like to end it in despair where <laughs> everybody dies. And so then you wonder why the hell did I read this? <laughs> <laughs> that was the seventies, right? You watch this movie where someone goes through all of these trials and tribulations, and then they just go up on top of a hill and set themselves on fire. And you're like, well, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't find it symbolic or, or not. Um, um, it is, it is just not necessary. To, there's no symbolism there, as as far as um, I I can see. So when it, well, we're going to go to the publishing aspect of you for a second, and then we'll get back to the comments. Yeah. The publishing aspect. When you said conformity conform writing in with conformity my ears perked up because this is one of the things i find problematic to me and i'm all important <laughs> problematic to me in the publishing world is that they publish by trends yes and so you're not getting anything different it's like it doesn't even matter if you're they're looking for horror and you're writing horror it's not the right kind of horror it's trends. And this is why I think that smaller presses, um, indie writers, all of that is so important because it's the only way we get something different. Yes, I have to agree with you. I mean, I, I'm really disappointed in some of uh, the larger houses um, that, you know, that we respected in the past, published, you know, breakout books like Lolita and, uh, you know, Ulysses and so on, are now going for these very... Um, you know, formula-driven uh, books because they sell, right? I mean, the the, the blind masses just oh yeah, it's it's the top twenty books. authors yes, that yes. sell. That's ah. just nobody gets past them. Well, yeah, people no, get not, past them. But. I'm not even interested in reading the prize-winning books that come out today because they really don't turn my crank. You know, they 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 are just more of the same. Uh, and so I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see the small presses one day being recognized by these prize juries and saying, okay, for this year, we're going to turf the big guys and we're going to take the small guys and see whether they're giving us any groundbreaking literature. Are they, are they, extending the form? No, are they extending the form? You know, are they, yeah. are they moving the literary novel to the next level? Or are they, you know, are they, are they uh, being somewhat irreverent about uh, what we consider to be the boundaries? Um, and if that were to happen, then literature will continue to grow and evolve. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a never-ending uh, problem. Um, but you know, I take comfort in the fact that I'm publishing the the books of writers that I want to publish, that I find uh, are in who share my thinking that the genre the the, the, the genre has to be extended. Um, 
Um, and so I will continue to do that. And, you know, whether we end up winning prizes or whether we um, sell millions of copies or we sell no copies, we're still creating the art that we want to create. And that is never going to be taken away from us. That's the freedom that I came here for. And I want to defend that. And, 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 and I will help you defend that. Thank you. <laughs> Shane. Um, it is, I, I bring us back to um, when people like judge things on this or that, or whether it's published or it can't be, instead of looking under the cover, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, which no one would publish. And so he took it upon himself to publish it because he needed some bucks. Okay. <laughs> but the point is, what is, one of the books that everybody knows of, whether they've read it or not, it's everywhere. It's made it been spun off into so many different things. And it was basically about the greed of the time and that money isn't everything. So and, and it was way out there because having ghosts was just not that that was a secular thought. So it wasn't in keeping with the Christmas spirit. So we have to remember that it hasn't always been like this and speaking up and speaking out through through our our writing our literature is important i want to see more of it and i go digging for it so um yes janice says hi janice thanks sir he writes thought-provoking literature and i agree i had that in my opening <laughs> It is thought provoking. It's like an exercise. Oh, because somehow it reels, not that everything is about us or me, but sometimes it somehow it reels back into how would I deal with that? How would, I don't know if that's only me, but like how, where do I go on that scale of the sparkly is more important than the substance? You know, how it, it, it always makes me think about my choices and things like it's just like a checkpoint i mean i don't go into a deep over <laughs> okay i overthink but i don't go into it but it does bring it back for us to 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 um to think about our own situations like i said to think about our own freedoms to find appreciation in our life and janice says there isn't enough hi janice she would enough nice in the world in my own honest opinion nice is needed and nice is needed but sometimes we have to look at the not so nice to become nicer people yes. does that make sense yes yes <laughs> and also to appreciate what we have because we do have nice lives i mean i i have a nice life i i don't uh, deny it i i had bad things happen in the past but um, and I'm not going to exchange what I have now for what was in the past. However, what was in the past made me who I am today and made me appreciate what I have today. And I think that's what we need to, um, you know, our literature should embrace all of that. I, I think like of the people I've interviewed, people I know in life, that some people that have come from very um, dark situations, um, whether it's... Um, I know one gentleman who lived through um, in, in South America, you know, being grabbed and pushed down just because he was carrying a guitar case and mm -hmm. he was obviously an artist and they're not to be trusted. Um, all of this, sometimes the people who have faced the hardest things are just the happiest and kindest people out there because they've worked through that and they understand. Janice says, Janice Barrett, I've got two. I, I can say author, but, but they're both authors. So 
Coffee Janice Barrett said, exactly. He make, makes me think about my stance on whatever subject he writes about. Yes. Thank you. See, that's why you're an author, Janice. Because <laughs> you worded that. But I'm thinking on the spot, and it doesn't come out always clearly. <laughs> but you do. You make us stop being looking thought. You're thinking about that, Shane. I can tell yeah, you. Is that because... what I do? And yes, you yeah. do. Two people have voted. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to expand on that a little bit. There was, uh, I don't know whether we talked about it the last time we spoke, but I've raised this many times. I, I like books to be, to have the four E's, you know, they have to be engaging, entertaining, uh, educating, and enlightening. Uh, and so a lot of books in the genre category go into the first two E's. They're engaging and entertaining, and that's it. And there's nothing more beyond that. Um, so if, if I can get people into the enlightening part, which is the fourth E, um, where they're basically questioning their position on things, as Janice ju just mentioned, then I think uh, I've hit a home run there, right? I've, I've, I've not only engaged and entertained, I've maybe educated them a little bit, let's say through this book on, on Sri Lanka, for instance, but I've also got them to question their position on certain things that are happening in the world. And, and that, that interrogation that has gone on in the course of reading the book um, is, is an exercise that um, the book has provided and the author has provided. And so that's what I, I aim for. I don't hit it all the time, but I, tr I try to aim for that. I think it's when, because when you go into different learning styles, right? There's some people that just need to see the facts in front of them one two three four well when i see the facts in front of me one two three four it's it's not getting anywhere but you put a story behind that you put a biography you put human beings experiencing it you put i learn more than i would ever learn in a textbook because yes. I'm living that moment with them. I'm I'm standing by that river. I'm I'm feeling you know the fears the and I come out and I learned more in your books about Sri Lanka than I ever knew before and it's really opened my eyes to to a lot of things. Um and I don't see I I've, I've I've had people ask me about this before when I've watched certain shows or whatever and they'll say why are you watching such a depressing thing and that always startles me because I don't find it depressing I find it inspiring I find it um <clears throat> fantastic to see the strength of humanity their ability to survive to take on to keep going it is just such an inspiration i would rather they didn't have to go through that as i would rather that you hadn't had to go through that shane but it is still inspiring to hear and read your story and to know otherwise we can't get better right okay <clears throat> brian read a lot so everybody get ready. Brian has always in today's world of indie publishing. Do you think that publishers large and small are mattering less and less or are small presses filling an important place in the publishing ecosystem? Well, I'd like to think that small presses are still fulfilling a role in, in the ecosystem. Um, there is uh, a loss in that area around because there's the big guys, uh, the big three or four who are out there doing formulaic stuff. There's millions of self-published authors who are vying for attention and nobody really is paying attention because you don't know who, who is good and who is bad. There's no quality control in that area. And so the, the small presses are trying to curate the good stuff that's out there that's not picked up by the big guys. 
and present that you know to as wider audience as they can. And our biggest challenge is widening that audience. Right? That's why we arrive on shows like this, and hopefully people <laughs> listen to us and say, "Okay, oh, let's go pick up one of those books and see whether we can read it." But if they don't listen to a show like this, they'll never hear hear about us. So. Um, Yes, so I'm I, doing my part, Brian. Yes, we're doing your part. So what we're <laughs> suggesting here is that, yes, they are filling that role. The question is, are there enough of us to do that? Uh, you know, because it's not just coming and publishing. And enough work. honest ones, Shane, because we also have the problem with certain small presses. I, I know. Exactly. That's true. Now, I've been doing this for, I'm going on my 14th year. Um, I haven't become a millionaire out of this. Okay. I've, I've not lost money, but I've not made a lot of money. I'm doing this for love. Um, and, and also to see some of my books come out because that way I have a pipeline for my books to come out. Uh, I make no bones about that because nobody's going to come and offer me a, a pipeline. Um, so, um, but there has to be maybe a hundred more people, um, just in Canada alone doing that. And so maybe a thousand in the United States doing that on a sustained basis of curating content and showcasing content to create that, that, that feed between the ones who are self-publishing and, and the ones who become, um, you know, multi-million dollar selling books. Um, so, yes, I, I, I hope so. I hope we are filling that middle niche. I, I think it's important because, well, I would like to see all publishing continue to exist because I don't want to live in, that's a slippery slope when we stop, you know, um, getting works out there, regardless that that, that dries up because we, think about what the world was like before the printed word was out there um but and but when some people don't have technical expertise like brian does or or whatever it is good to know there are people you can trust out there to get them online to get that package going right um there's yeah. a lot of work involved from point a to point b and not everybody has the abilities to do all of those and it may and it may decrease over time because as this generation rolls over into the next, a lot more people are more technically adept, and they consume their their um, literature electronically. Um, so the the need for small presses doing what they do today may decrease. They may end up being more like curators of saying, you know, you should read this book and not this one. Maybe you know, like book reviewers who who will pass well, the book as opposed to actually manufacture the book. Now I'm I'm going to I'm going to make this all about Vicky. No, so as at doing this show, I in order to maintain my integrity and to support indie authors, I need to say no to some books. Um, and you have to say no to some books coming in on yes. you. Um, do you ever feel evil? <laughs> Sometimes, like, how do you deal with that, Shane? It is very hard. In fact, if you ask me what's the hardest part of being an indie publisher, that's the hardest part. Because I usually get 10 good books that I, from the submissions that come in that I know will do well. And but because my bandwidth is half that, um, I have to say no to five good ones, right? And I try to be kind. I try to give them some positive feedback and tell them where they could, you know, maybe make the book a little stronger. Um, some of them come back to me in the following year. And I have actually published some who have come back to me in a year when I had a gap. Um, but it is extremely hard. Um, at the same time, you know, it's like what Saul Bellow said, you have to tackle the, the difficult situations in order to get stronger. And, 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 you know, just like reading difficult literature, you have to make the difficult choices uh, to some of these people. 
and and some of these writers and uh, and I continue to do that um you know sometimes I don't get uh, good responses back people don't take it well uh, I understand that too but sometimes they do and and I've seen books that I've you know turned down come out later self-published or published through some other press and so you know good luck to them um but yeah that is tough um I, I don't know how to solve it. You know, maybe a um, robot. Maybe I'll buy a robot and have them read all my manuscripts in the future. <laughs> That's possible. Um, but it does work because reading Janice Barrett's book, which was fabulous, um, authorized cruelty, led me to your books because I thought, okay, this is, and so I have trust as i there are several other books on your list i'm interested in reading probably all of them eventually but i'm but human um there's one particular but i trust before even going into that book that it is going to be a good book because i know that what you publish and and what you find acceptable you know what i'm saying so it yes, does work so. it's important it's important that you keep the integrity of the of blue denim's name Yes, and, and I do get involved with each book. I mean, Janice will tell you, uh, and all my authors will tell you, that I, I do uh, impose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not you. <laughs> into the structure of the book to make it better. You know, I mean, to make it better and to raise the author about where they think they have settled. And I'm saying to them, no, that's you can do better. You can do more than this. And and so, you know, it's 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 like a coach who's um, pushing people to to excel, to, to reach a, a standard that they've, didn't think they could do um, but you you need help you, you can't just let them you know strain themselves and burst a gut or something <laughs> you have to you have to guide them um, and hold the hand a little bit um, and so eventually yes they do and and I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the books that I have published my, my regret is that not enough people are reading our books you know because we are small and we don't have a lot of marketing dollars now you are helping us by interviewing us on these shows. But that's not why I'm doing it. I don't care about you. <laughs> no, no, but they're good books and yeah. they need to be out there. And um, yeah, it, everybody goes for, um, I've already said to myself, should, you know, I've had a couple of big names now, um, but should I still want to do indie, small press, whoever, is a big name you know if should it come to that it is because it is it is important to me to get those books out and i'm not even getting any money for them <laughs> so but it's just the, the, there has to be diverse voices and i mean of any opinion we have to remain open-minded um but if we're going to be open-minded <laughs> we have to be open-minded but but it is so important to get um different voices and older okay indie writers things like that tend to be of an older um maturity and i always say i think it's happening because you know there isn't that table kids don't feel like they have to listen to their elders <laughs> so we have to tell our story somewhere no one of the things that is very i mean obviously i started off this interview thinking we we're going to talk about my books but now we're talking about being okay well we can we'll go back <laughs> Sure, but let, let me let me just close the publishing uh, discussion with this 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 point. Is that it is very true that um, the indie authors tend to be demographically um, uh, or statistically a little older, 
and that's primarily because um, publishers, the big ones, are not really uh, interested in, in in older guys like us because you know the question is, to how many books do we have left in us, right? Are we going to drop dead tomorrow? Um, are we just is this a one sh- one hit wonder? And my take on that would be, if they'd taken me on when I was forty eight, I would they would have had eighteen books from me, okay? But they didn't. <laughs> So now and it's the, their loss. At the same time, you know, you look at the number of one-hit wonders we've had who are big names, um, and and I can rattle off a whole list of them. But you you, you can go look, look at look at the the list on Google. You say authors who wrote one bestseller and nothing else. There's tons of them, and some of those names will surprise you. Um, you know, they were young when they published that famous bestseller, and they did nothing after that, uh, or very little after that. And so you can't use age as a determinant of of productivity, and that's a mistake that a lot of uh, the big guys who are using statistical um, uh, measures to 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 gauge a person's uh, output. Um, and so that's so unfortunately, until that changes, yes, you're going to have a lot more people who are in the older demographic writing indie books and being published to indie publishers or self-publishing. And but- and. No, let's no. Get back to my books. <laughs> well, you said you also before you said you also wanted to get you know out the other books out there too. So yeah. I was just trying, Shane. Okay, <laughs> so Shane's books are good. Buy them. That is all. <laughs> I'll send you a list of my um, other author's books, and you can choose from that. Um, am I reading the Limbo book next? Oh, you with can the short stories. You can is certainly that... read them. It's a it's a great book. It's a great. Book. In <laughs> fact, in fact, the cover in that book caused a huge furrow. If you look at the cover on on the on the, it's a it's a cover of a, a young woman on the railway track. And uh, when it was first put on Facebook, it went on to uh, a stream of insults and compliments <laughs> that came on saying this is sexist, this is this, this is that, this is that. And I said, look, I didn't even pick this because that book was initially published by another publishing company. Um, and I said, they read the book and they decided that this was going to be the cover. Um, the The cover was supposed to depict a young woman who was contemplating suicide. And she was on the railway tracks waiting for the train. Um, whereas on the other side of the railway tracks was an old guy like me uh, who had a bunch of health-related issues, who was also waiting for the train to take his life. And it was this, you know, this meeting of the two minds, the young and the old, um, sort of saying to us, you know, we don't really have answers for these, these two generations, right? So they're waiting for the train to get out of here. Um, um, and so that was the intention. But of course, the cover caused such a furor. <laughs> the book probably fell apart somewhere and nobody touched it. But it got good reviews. And I, I would certainly encourage you to read it because there's some challenging stories in there. They're also taken from real life and real situations. And uh, you, you could argue uh, whether those stories will stop and make you think, which I try to do. Um, in which you, you do do um, very well. I, I, I never leave your books without thinking, Shane, which is what keeps bringing me back. Um, I think a lot, even though other people might argue that possibility. Now, last time we talked, you were working on a book about robots. Yes. And you had this whole AI thing going on in your head. And, and how goes the book about robots? Okay, so it's t- timely because I received the edited manuscript back. I, I usually send my books out to be edited by a third-party independent uh, editor. It came back two days ago 
I haven't opened it yet because I'm now in that situation of being the writer who's scared of seeing his masterpiece <laughs> mutilated <laughs> by the editors. Someone hurt my baby. <laughs> something that I do with my writers, you know? So the, the, the shoes on the other foot sort of thing, you know? And I'm thinking, oh my God. But I know that it's a necessary step that I have to take. Um, I have to kill a few of my sacred cows. I have to change a few things because here's this impartial, and this uh, editor is a very well-known editor. She's edited Giller Prize-winning books in the past. Um, and so I have to listen to her and, and take her advice um, you know, to heart. Um, so when I finish with this interview and after I've had a few drinks next week, I will sit down <laughs> to read my book uh, in, in the edited form. And I think and it will be better. Big red little lines. The, the, the biggest problem we're having, and this is maybe you can help me, is um, not so much the editing. I mean, we'll get through that. I know we'll get through that and uh, the book will be fine. Is the title, right? So the title, um, I had uh, it as, I called it In Search of Sentience. Um, but it seems like that sounds too philosophical and doesn't at all suggest what the book is about. Uh, my robot's name is Victoria. Um, so somebody is suggesting Victoria. Is she evil? <laughs> Victoria's Secret. I said, no, no, I don't want to lose. Okay. After that whole limbo cover thing. Oh, no. We've been there before. Uh, somebody suggested Fika with Wiki. <laughs> and I said, no, I think I'll have a lawsuit from there too. So, so. You're so frightened of lawsuits. I know. Why is that? It, it happens. Anyway, so, um, so I'm trying to wrestle with that uh, what is the right name that would conjure up um, the message that I want to get across from this book right because I've I've basically taken two industries I've taken the, the publishing industry because the one of the protagonists is the is, is the publisher a small publishing house um, and then there is this this guy who's created this robot um, and 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 the robot challenges um, the publishing business to say I will drive you out of business right because robots can write books now uh, and are doing that. So there is this this in play. And it's not only just the publishing business, but every other business that can be robotized is now under threat. So yeah. the, the, the implied the implied vision is, uh, or the message in the book is, will we get it right? Um, will this robot be able to serve us in a productive way uh, to make us extend the quality of life? Or will it be a battle to the death between the robots and the humans? Uh, or will we create another Frankenstein monster? Um, so these are the, the issues that I want to surface in my fourth E, the enlightenment and the education and the, the thinking that I want the readers to go through in reading this book. And at the same time, it's an entertaining book. It's moving fast. There's a lot of, a lot of action in it, as, as you know, in my books. Um, and so when I take people to the action, which is the kind of the softening the journey, making it easy for them to, to navigate and to go to travel, I'm also planting these little questions in people's minds to say, you know, have we are we doing the right thing here, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that I'll get the book out once all these pieces are put together, title, editing, and all that by next year, um, hopefully early next year, and uh, and then we'll see what happens. 
<laughs> so I'm remembering the drama. I'm just remembering the trauma I experienced after our last show because I would say to people, I cannot believe that machines can ever replace people because they don't have the feelings. Like, the, can they really write the story without the feelings? Can they? And then all males around me were like, well, I think they can. <laughs> it's this ongoing argument in my life. <laughs> that I um you know maybe I think emotionally but I don't I don't think so I don't think ultimately it can we will still have that hunger for another human being well I hope so but and how will Victoria rule <laughs> is an idea for a title uh <laughs> will it be gracefully or maybe, will it be? maybe the title is Victoria's reign <laughs> oh <laughs> I don't have a very good ring because my people don't listen to me. Okay, we'll just get through some comments here. Um, Janice said, Shane made my book so much better, but he explains why he wants changes made. It's always solid reasoning and made making his changes easy. I think that's important that you do explain why. Brian says, it seems that today... It Oh, it is okay. This, I okay. Sorry, it seems to be the duty of editors to make their authors cry. <laughs> it's great, and now you're crying. <laughs> well, I don't know about making them cry. Uh, I, I don't certainly intend to make them cry. They may cry when they see what I've done with their work, um, but no, that's not the intention. The intention is to make them better. Okay, I'm not even. I don't even I don't even know. Janice is agreeing um with how about sentence to sentience? Okay, now I can see it better. <laughs> I'll, I'll, take, I'll take it under advisement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian and I had that argument about okay. <laughs> um okay. Aha, Dr. Frankenstein was the monster, not his creation. I keep telling you, Dr. Frankenstein is the monster, not his creation. Yes, well, <laughs> I, 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 I said it was a Frankenstein monster, not Frankenstein. <laughs> he keeps pulling that out whenever he can. It's his thing. I keep saying, no, in my opinion, Janice's Absolute Cruelty is a brilliant book. And yes, it is. Thank you. That's very good. I'm glad I was part of that. And and Genesis program to fail or take over. Sometimes okay. taking over is failing. I'll, I'll, I'll take that also under advisement. <laughs> I'm I'm going for Victoria's reign. I don't know why that just. <laughs> I'm finding that attractive. So, you do how many books? every year like but your books all come out sort of the same time so when yeah. can we be expecting i started talking about the business and now i realize i'm not so I, I have done a few books in the <laughs> in the spring uh they're not as attractive in terms of uh you know the the, the momentum it's better in the fall uh, because next year is also going to be the uh, year of the Northumberland Festival of the Arts, where we have a lot of activity taking place in Coburg and my area. Uh, and to couple book launches with that is also helpful for us because it, it builds on that momentum. Um, so I may end up, you know, uh, getting it ready and, and at the same time putting it out in the fall when my, my other books come out. So I'll probably do about five books again next year. Um, and uh, so they'll all probably come out in the fall and we'll just do a bunch of road shows and uh, and uh, couple it with the festival and make a big noise about it that's all we can do make noise 
people read it. <laughs> um, and uh, just on a personal note, how many, as an editor, how many times do you edit your book before you send it out for an editor? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, I do about three drafts. Uh, I think the first draft is basically a dump, right? It's a dump of everything. Second draft is usually when I, I try to add pieces or take pieces out and develop certain parts and make it a little bit more. So the usual, the first draft is uh, quite small. Uh, and then the second draft is quite large. And in the third draft, I bring it down to appropriate size. Um, and that's when I work on the style of the sentences. But I usually find that my my sentence style is a little different from a typical Canadian editor's sentence style because I come from the classic, know, the colonial, the colonial, yeah. colonial era, and we tend to spell spell things in in a, in a British format, whereas it's more condensed in in the North American style. So it's after the, about the third edit um, that I ready now send it to people to read, or even for an editor to edit, and then I'll get it back from the editor with all sorts of blood all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> that you need to have a drink to face. Shane, <laughs> Shane, author up. <laughs> so, do we discuss your books enough today? We never discuss your books enough today. No, I, I, I think we've done well. We've probably gone over time, but that's fine. I'm, I'm happy that we, we got a chance to talk about publishing. Uh, and because that's, you know, publishing and writing has now become intrinsically part of what I do. I cannot separate one from the other anymore. I used to. Um, but I'm finding they're merging, and to go in as a publisher and a writer is uh, has a lot more uh, street credibility now than it did before, um, and and it's a more complete um, uh, version of, of of oneself, which I, I'd like to present, as opposed to saying I am only a writer or I'm only a publisher. I'm both, and I can't separate them. No, well, they no, you can't. I'm just going to turn the comments off now, so I won't see anymore as I um as I say goodbye to Shane. Thank you, you always make us think. Thank, thank you very much for having me. This is really a pleasure. I, I think I spoke a little bit more today and I I was a little bit more loose with my comments. <laughs> I'm taken in the right spirit. But I certainly yeah I would certainly like to see you have some of my authors on on the show. I think they have written some really good books. I can send you a list and and certainly I don't think you'll be disappointed with them. They're, they're good speakers, good presenters, and 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 they've got good books. Well, I feel I feel that their books had to be good to get through you, Shane. And it's always a pleasure. I'm glad you're feeling more casual because, like, it's not a classy joint. <laughs> it's not a classy joint. So I will say goodbye for now, and um, and thank you, thank you so much for the books and the conversation. Thank we'll you. talk soon. Cheers. Okay, next week, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to Fika. And whether you believe in him, you have to admit, as a mythological creature, as a mythological person, he has the best PR that's out there. So join us for that. And until then... May your coffee be hot and your story sweet. Thank you for listening, everyone, and take care.